this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new cool we're talking about in the world of books and reading. Whoa, came in hot there. This episode 318, we're recording on Thursday, June 20th, 2019. Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. I think you saved most of the big news for me again yeah. this week. Yeah, there's a, mm. there's a lot of stuff here. Of Sounds stuff. like you ate your Wheaties this morning. I did. I had a I had a half of a giant apple fritter here, <laughs> um, so I'm running on uh, a little sugar high oil power. At the particular well, moment. So. I look forward to the part where you crash halfway through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to the last week's show. I can't help you with some of the follow-up that's coming here in a minute. I can help you with a little listener feedback that I wanted to pass along. And this related to us um, thinking about, wondering about, dreaming about even, what we wanted the uh, Obamas to do with mm, their mm-hmm. Spotify uh, podcast deal. We know nothing about it except they're doing some. And this reader, I think, made an interesting point, and I, and I wanted to pass it along, but also maybe clarify, I think maybe I'll speak for both of us until you correct me that you, you, you need to be spoken differently for on mm-hmm. your own behalf. And she was saying, you know, one thing to keep in mind about what the Obamas are doing is that they've got a larger legacy social responsibility to think about when they choose their projects and what it is, and maybe asking them to do a more freewheeling thing where they're a little more loose and off the cuff is unreasonable because, rightly or wrongly, they're judged differently because of their race, because of who they are. They're concerned mm, about their legacy, mm-hmm. not just themselves, but future black people, black politicians. Totally, I think all that's fair. I totally guess I want to clarify, I'm not in the business of telling what the Obamas, what they should be doing at all. I was more thinking like what I would like to hear <laughs> yes, as much as anything else. Very so, active wish listing that was yeah, occurring. Yeah, so... Um, Whatever they want to do, of course, I, I'm not interested I'm going to listen shoulds. to it, whatever it is. Yeah, I may not. I mean, if it's, if it's not something I'm interested in, I may not. But I'm not going to be like, boy, they really, quote unquote, should be doing something other than this because I would like it. Um, we were, I think we were more just daydreaming oh, yeah. what we'd like in our own personal ear holes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was not about absolutely. the wider context. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was uh, wish listing. And I'm going to give a shot, I think, to whatever they do. I'm interested. Okay. Well, you I'm can not going to commit. Yeah, I'm not going to commit to. I'm not going to commit to be a subscriber to every episode until we know what it's going to be. But I'm mm-hmm. curious, and, and and I don't think it'll be bad. I don't think they're going to make anything bad. I think the the no. concern concern is wrong. It feels like I'm concerned. I'd say that the, a possible weakness for my own taste would be a little too much polish, a little too much sheen. Yeah, I'm um, not worried that's about... That's all that I'm looking for. I'm not worried about bad yeah. either. Maybe um, bland is even a strong word, but like... Uh, yeah, it's, I don't think it would be bland either. I agree. I don't think bland is on the table. Yeah, either. I don't think bland is on the table, but I think in the same way that we talked about with his summer reading book lists, which those are constrained by all of the same things that the people mm-hmm. writing in were talking about. Like you, when you're the president, you have to appear to be a certain way. When you are the first black president, you really have to be concerned about those things, but he, he plays it a little safe for reasons, but he plays mm-hmm. it a little safe. And I think um, that if the shows are like a little safe, um, they're not going to be for me, but I think that right. a lot of people are going to be into whatever they do. And I of course wish them mm-hmm. massive success. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mean you don't, you don't, you and I don't want to tell them about um, PR and political messaging. You don't think oh, we should be advising them. on I that, just Rebecca? don't <laughs> think so, Jeff. Like I'm, our lane is pretty well defined. I'm just so going to be a narrow lane, but I like it. If Barack needs advice about like, I don't know, hiking or what to do with your golden retriever puppy or I don't yeah, know, like I, making a good brisket. I got him. The only advice I would give um, Michelle or Barack Obama asking me for advice would be please ask someone else. <laughs> too much pressure. I'm not Just, ready. I don't even know if it's too much pressure. I don't I'd be like, I can't be, there's got to be someone better for whatever right. question you're asking there's someone else. This is the ultimate way to get imposter syndrome is to be asked yes. to give Barack and Michelle Obama advice. But luckily, we're never going to find out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nor are we interested in it. But um, no. I thought that that was a good a good note, but also worth the clarification or yes. reiteration on our part if we didn't make it mm-hmm. clear at the beginning. Um, 
this is not a moral judgment of what they should be doing at all. All right, so with that um, on the table, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, Fix Her Up by Tessa Bailey. I like this, what we're doing here. I'm going to give you five reasons that you might be interested in Fix Her Up. One, brother's best friend trope. It's a romance trope, brother's best friend trope. That's a good. That's a that's a good one. That's mm. a, that's a that's a famous one. Another one, fake dating. The two characters, Georgie and Travis, pretend to date. Georgie is, use, is using Travis to demolish her good girl image, and Travis Travis is using Georgie to get rid of his bad boy image. So, kind of meeting in the middle. A little good, a little more good, a little more bad. The Heat. Tessa Bailey is famous for writing very hot scenes in her romances. Don't let the illustrated cover fool you. She delivers some of her hottest romance. Yet for rom coms. This book yes. is a rom- romance, but it's also very funny. Easy to picture. This is a rom-com movie with witty dialogue, meddling best friends and siblings, and all the shenanigans that Georgie and Travis find themselves getting to. And five, it's the first book in a series. Get in on the ground floor. Tessa Bailey loves a good romantic trilogy, and you won't want to miss this one. This is the first in a series to read, so get it while it's hot. Here's a little bit what it's about. Georgie Castle ditched her family's renovation business to become a children's party planner, and no one's taken her seriously since. Determined to prove she's not a joke, she enlists a friend, uh, Travis Ford, notorious ladies' man, ex-pro basketball player, and her brother's best friend, because who better to help her demolish her little girl image? For Travis, having Georgie around is good for him and his career. She's basically America's sweetheart. But all too soon, he realizes the girl he used to tease is definitely not a kid anymore, and there's nothing fake about how much he wants her. So that is your, I don't know, teaser, your, your list of things, your reasons to go pick up, fix her up by Tessa Bailey. Link in the show notes, go buy it wherever you're going to buy things. Oh, I will never not be delighted when it's you reading show notes about a romance. <laughs> <laughs> I like a rom-com. Come on, man. It's true. I do love her. Have you guys watched um, Always Be My Maybe on I Netflix have not. yet? I, I watched uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before and oh, quite enjoyed that. That's a quality one. I'm not all caught up on my Netflix rom-coms. Okay, we got follow-up. It's follow-up follow time. We got follow-up, yeah. The Let's first two are just sort of little... Well, the first one is something that I noticed um, after... I think it was on that same episode where we were talking about the Obama's mm. podcasting deal with Spotify. We were wondering, what is Spotify going to do to get more people to use <laughs> know, right? Spotify for podcasts? And I noticed this week that my Spotify app updated and that when, I was, when I'm in like my lists or something, I don't have my phone in front of me while we're recording the show, but on one of the mm. main navigation pages in the spot, the Spotify app, there's now it's now broken out between music and podcasts. And mm. so you can toggle all my playlists are in music, but I could click at the top of the screen to take me to my podcasts if I wanted mm. to. So they are making it more visible, making it more prominent. And I would guess that this is just one step along the way to increasing use of podcasts and podcast discovery over there. There's also a new feature called your daily drive, like for a yeah. long time. Have you tried it? Not yet. That for a while, podcast podcasts Spotify has done um, your daily mix, where they offer like four or five playlists that are um, algorithmically generated based on what you listen to and what they think you might like. And now you have a daily one that is a mix of music and podcasts. So I'm going to give it a shot and just see. Uh, like, I'm very interested in what Spotify thinks about me. Like, there's Motown, there's music I play when I'm teaching <laughs> yoga classes. There's my ongoing love affair with Lizzo, and like what podcasts are they going to recommend? So that'll be fun. I should try that too. I have found that what Spotify wants to try to recommend me, I'm always like close. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not, I'm not like excited. I'm like, I see what you're trying to do there. <laughs> like it's a yeah. nice try Spotify, you know, it's not, not embarrassing, but not super exciting. I've also seen some um, backlash to the Spotify re, I don't know, jiggering, I guess. Mm how it's uh, surfacing things to people. I haven't noticed being that um, different in my daily use, but I have seen some that there. You do wonder, I mean, I wonder how much of a concern for Spotify is like they've done extremely well as being a, a streaming music platform, you know, paid or free. They've done a wonderful job. It's a great user. I love the product. It's mm-hmm. one of like my favorite, pro- you know, of the things I like about my iPhone anymore, this is actually an interesting thought experiment. Like, what do you actually like using your phone for anymore? Spotify's up there. Like the things that keep me on a spark, like a fancy phone, are Spotify mm-hmm. and Maps and a camera. Yep, that's kind of it for me. Yeah. frankly. the way I think um, about it is like if 
I lost access to everything in my phone like if all of it disappeared from the cloud too what would i be the saddest to lose and like eight or nine years worth of spotify playlists is really (laughs) high up there yeah yeah i think i don't know if i I feel like some people are like like me in this regard is that my phone consumption has gone a lot away from social media stuff to kind of more traditional content that's being presented to me in non-traditional ways, whether it's through Libby or Netflix or my mm-hmm. podcast player, Audible or Spotify. I spend a lot more time doing that and a lot less time on Facebook, Instagram. I'm not on Twitter at all anymore, not on Facebook really at all anymore. I'm on Instagram just a very little bit. But then I find myself, I'm in Libby, I'm listening to Spotify, I'm listening to podcasts. So I'm not sure if other people are having that same experience, but for me. Yeah, that's been true for me. And my browser, frankly, my, you know, my Safari, mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of web browsing on my phone anymore. Um, some has been a conscious effort to put the thing to the side and use my desktop or my iPad when I'm really doing stuff, but keep my phone for that other kind of stuff. Anyway, I, I wonder though, if anyone at Spotify is worried about, you know, they've had success with the music. Are you worried about splitting the, 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 the army a little bit? Um, mm. I wonder about that, but we'll see. Um, did you guys talk about this reader link offer last time or this was, is yeah, this a, we, t- yeah. we talked about it. There was just a rumor that reader link yeah. might make an offer for Barnes and Noble. And that if they did, it would be like a $4 million breakup fee. Barnes and Noble would have to pay Elliott right. advisors and then something else would continue. There was no offer made yeah. by reader link. So Barnes and Noble is going to Elliott advisors. The gavel has been banged. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I, I was on vacation. I only saw the headline, and I, I haven't had a chance to listen to you and Amanda talk last week. Did you have thoughts? Did, did we know anything about what ReaderLink said or anything like that? No, no one no from ReaderLink or Barnes & Noble would comment on huh. the potential deal. So Amanda was saying she thought it would be really interesting uh, to see ReaderLink do it since they distribute books to so many of the non-bookstore Right. places that sell books um, to see what would happen there. And we were both in favor of Barnes & Noble getting the best offer possible and continuing right. to stay in business for all the reasons that have been discussed on this show. Um, but that was basically it. I guess I'm, It was a like, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I I'm, I'm guess I'm interested in the story behind the story of like why, if, there's no, if there was no offer, why make the rumor of the offer public? Or if maybe it wasn't intentional. Or maybe, like, right, or maybe like they intended to make an offer and then they changed their mind at the last minute. Like, or Barnes & Noble linked it because Elliot was trying to yeah. weaken the deal. I mean, there's a lot of ways that can go. I'm right, just sort like, of the, the backroom dealing stuff is more interesting to me than actually the reader business. Frankly. The rumors did seem to impact Barnes & Noble's stock price in the positive Direction right. that was noted. Well, last too bitter so means you're yeah. probably going to get a higher price, or at least right. Yeah, it, it seemed like good news for them. So that's where that is. Barnes and Noble. We're gonna gonna see what happens next. Yeah. Um. And you I, again. I saw this story last week. Uh, do you want to take the follow up for it? Sure. So we have Nicholas Sparks follow up. If you heard last week's show, you heard us talking about the lawsuit that's been going on against him for several years now from a former headmaster of his the school that Nicholas Sparks founded in North Carolina called the Epiphany School, um, accusing Nicholas Sparks of a variety of ungood stuff, um, discrimination, harassment, um, some unfavorable opinions about members of the LGBTQ community and some frankly abhorrent comments that he made about um, people of color and why there weren't more people of color in the school. Um, Initially, Nicholas Sparks ignored the story. It ran on the Daily Beast, and he said that it largely ignores the overwhelming evidence we've submitted to the court. But then in the face of ongoing criticism of him, like Nicholas Sparks really got it online last week when um, his emails got released. So that's part of the story, Jeff, is like the Daily Beast obtained somehow. Yeah, I saw that part. I did see that part. Yeah, and it's very damning. Uh, So he he addressed it. He made a statement that he released um, online, including on Twitter. And the statement doesn't do him really any good. Um, he regrets that he appeared intolerant and then attempts to 
recontextualize and explain some of the comments that he made in the emails that were released. Um, my personal, like I'm not a fan of the guy anyway, especially after learning these things, um, from his emails that I read with my own eyes last week. But, um, frankly, it's insulting. Like this attempt to spin is insulting to think that people will, um, will buy, will buy this. It's not a good look for Nicholas Sparks. Like I I get that you feel like you got to say something, when this kind of thing comes out about you, but I feel like he might need better media advisors mm-hmm. if this is the best, uh, the best place that that he's in. And I'm sure because it's an ongoing legal concern, he's um, also limited in what his lawyers are comfortable with him saying. But it's this is not a good look. Um, I remain glad that the things are being dragged into the light of day. I mean, I guess in a way, it, it's hard to know. I'm, I'm not super interested in like waving away the 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 strength of the the comments is pretty strong um that doesn't make the emails go away i don't think but he says at the end i'm an mm-hmm. unequivocal supporter of gay marriage gay adoption equal employment rights uh i guess that should be uh r-i-g-h-t-s uh guardian mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> um <laughs> so that is a very strong statement and it does i mean who knows what he was doing with these emails it doesn't look good but that is a that is an unequivocal statement. That's a public unequivocal statement, and does move the needle differently than if he had said, "I'm sorry, these things came to light," or you know, "I didn't mm-hmm. mean it like that." Like that's a pretty strong statement. So I guess if you had asked me after seeing the email story what you would like Nicholas Spark to say, if anything, I think mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. unequivocal supporter. That's not bad. Now it doesn't make the other things go away, and there's still some trouble there, but. Uh, it's it's interesting that he came out so strong considering what was in the emails, um, interestingly. Yeah, and I I think the words are the right yeah. words. I guess I'm just not quite willing to believe them. Like, yeah. the, those emails do not come across as if they're written by someone who's an unequivocal supporter of gay rights. It doesn't seem, yeah, I think that's right. I think that there's a, some cognitive dissonance there, Um but that he did, but he was willing, whether even if it's just strategic to say I'm an unequivocal supporter, mm-hmm. given what was in the emails, is interesting at the very least. Mm-hmm. And, well, um, and that creates it creates a kind of mandate going forward, at least in his behavior, because yes. now that you've said these words, you either have to publicly live up to them mm-hmm. or get to be publicly a hypocrite. So that is where Nicholas Sparks is now. The case is going to trial in August. It's like, I guess there's still time they could settle, Um, but it's set to go to trial in August. I feel so bad for the kids um, Mm -hmm. in that situation. Um, Okay, let's do another sponsor. We'll get to new news. I guess that's news. That's what makes it news is it's new. The rest is just (laughs) new news. Um, all right. <laughs> Our next sponsor this week is FKA USA by Reed King. In FKA USA, the United States has dissolved in the wake of environmental disasters and the catast- catastrophic policies, that is how you pronounce that word, of its final president. This is named one of Entertainment Weekly's best books of summer. It's a science fiction satire that's unlike anything you've ever read before, where the fate of humanity rests on, wait for it, a talking goat. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, FKA USA is a wildly imaginative and possibly prescient, I certainly hope not, debut that's a cross between The Wizard of Oz and Ready Player One. Ring a bunch of bells there, folks. So if that sounds good and interesting, I'm certainly intrigued. That's FKA USA by Reed King. It's available wherever books are sold. You can click your way to it through a link in our show notes. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Amazon has Amazon the 20 best books of the year so far, and then some other books in other categories. Let's do it this way. Um, let's do one we've read, talk about it. Okay. One and one we'd like to read. Mm-hmm. And then if you have one, one you're not touching with a 10-foot pole. I'll go first. <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this one? Did you look at this already? You maybe could guess where I'm, I'm going. Pr- I have a pretty solid guess of where you're going. <laughs> I have read The River by Peter Heller, mm-hmm. which I really, really liked, and I recommended it to you, and I believe you liked as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. So this is people go fishing, or they're, going, they're, they're canoeing, and they see a man and woman arguing on the way out, 
And on the way back, they see only the guy on the river. And what starts out, it starts out sort of like, I don't know. It starts out feeling just like, like we're going into the woods, like Bill Bryson-esque sort of for fiction. We're just going to go out into the woods. Yeah. And then it really, um, uh, like water rolling back downstream, really picks up. Uh, so I really like that. A good Heller is a Heller's interesting between the painter and dog stars. He's kind of on the line between literary and genre fiction a lot of times. Mm-hmm. The Dog Stars is a dystopian novel. This one is a thriller, but it has literary qualities. Um, and, you know, literary can be used as a catch-all, but um, you know, it, it's it straddles the line between what you would understand and think of as literary fiction, and what you think is genre fiction. So that's one I read and liked. One I want to read is what's it called that 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 uh, maybe you should talk to someone by Lori Gottlieb have oh it's that so one? good I read it it's, yeah. yeah I'm glad that you're mentioning it so I don't have to use yeah. up my I read it spot. I'm looking it's forward wonderful to that one it's a therapist sort of behind the couch which I love as a phrase um, <laughs> look at what therapist is maybe you should talk to someone a therapist her therapist and our live reveal. Did you do that on an audiobook mm-hmm. by any chance? I think I I read it, but I think it would be great on yeah. audio. Yeah, you see her in therapy, and then you see her also um, writing about ongoing stuff that happened with a handful of her clients, like over the course of a year, and sort of just general thoughts about being a therapist and mental health and what therapy does and doesn't do. It was it's wonderful and like so warm and funny. It's great. Um. And then the one I'm not touching with a 10-foot pole, not because I don't think it's good, because I like to breathe and not cry all the time, (laughs) is Once More We Saw Stars, a memoir by Jason Green, which is about, um, oh boy, here we go, uh, his daughter dying. Oh. Young daughter dying. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything that comes, she's two. uh, Oh, no. And I have to stop talking about it right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. I heard it's great. But there's no way I'm reading that book in any foreseeable future. Um, can't do it. Uh, what do you want to? You, you can take my format or do whatever you want, Rebecca. I'm not no, no, tell no. You I like this, this format. I like this format. I'm going to maybe shout out two. Okay. Um, but I read and really appreciated, I can't say like loved because it was a tough one The Unwinding of the yeah, Miracle, a memoir. That one too. Yeah, a memoir of life, death, and everything that comes after by Julie Yip Williams. Um, it's a really remarkable story. She was born blind in Vietnam. Um, her grandmother encouraged her parents to have her euthanized, and instead they fleed. They fleed. They fled to America. I'm so like emotionally worked up already. Yeah, yeah, I can't no, even it's talk. All right. you don't have, um, we're not holding you responsible for yeah. <laughs> they yeah they fled to the U.S. She grew up to become. Um, just a really remarkable person. And as she was growing up, she had a surgery at UCLA that gave her partial sight. She became a Harvard educated lawyer and just, you know, had already overcome so much to have this life that she had. And then when she was in her late thirties, she was diagnosed with terminal metastatic colon cancer. And the book is her, like she's passed away. Now the book is her reckoning from a pretty early moment of finding out that she was going to die with her own stuff about it, with how to talk to her daughters about it, with how to think about her daughters having a future that she wasn't a part of. And it's like for a book like this, that's really difficult and about a really hard thing. It's really beautiful and sort of a a guide of sorts to like, if you're going to go through it, here's how to go through it with a lot of awareness and intention. Um, cool. A valuable read, but one that I spent a lot of time crying. Yeah, <laughs> on. I, know, I probably could um, handle that one maybe a little bit better. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I also read and loved Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, the best audiobook I have listened to in a very long time. Can I stop you there for a second? Uh-huh. I just bought this for my dad for Father's Day because he likes fiction and music mm. and whatever. Is this the fiction book of the year so far? Like mm. just in on the BR circles, like we, a lot of people on our side have read it and really loved it. They talk about it a lot. The only one that I can think of as being a contender for it is Good Talk by Mira Jacob, at least internally. I'm not talking about it on the wider yeah. internet. I'm not talking about sort of the BR, you know, the cloister, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that really come up to me. Um, 
as a two that were a lot of people. Yeah, read about I it. think they might be. And I've seen a lot of people in my just sort of like peripherally sort yeah. of bookish circles also being into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that one. I'm going to read City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And I'm going to read, I'm really looking forward to On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by. Yeah, oh, that's another one that a lot Ocean of people Vlog. on our side have been talking about. Yeah, Liberty claimed it the week that I was on all the books, so I haven't gotten to mm. it yet. And the one I'm not touching with a 10-foot foot pole. <laughs> hmm. I am trying, probably... I'm going to guess. Can I guess? Yeah. This Thomas Harris book, Kari Mora. Yeah. Like it's, super, it's apparently like crazy violent. Yeah, that's that's where I was gonna land. Yeah, okay. yeah. that's my two guess. two. I can't just I can't do gore yeah. as entertainment. Um, you know, and just to back up my own claim that Daisy Joan the Six might be the book of the year. If if the number of Amazon reviews are indicative of anything, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. they are, I'm just saying if they are. Yeah. Of the twenty picks, this one has it has the most reviews by like twice. It's twice the the second place one. Mm-hmm. Um, then this. Oh no! I'm sorry. My mistake. Oh no! The silent, the silent patient, patient by Alex I just got to that slide. Says, yeah. yeah, that one. And that's two thousand reviews. And that's, that's a thriller, a thriller. Mm-hmm. which best-selling genre books, unless they're the Gone Girls of the world, tend not to become the book of the year in sort of a zeitgeisty way. It, it can happen. Yeah. It can happen, but it tends not to. Your girl on the trains, your Gone Girls. Sometimes that happens, but. Um, Usually it's a work of literary fiction or commercial fiction. It can be commercial fiction um, that breaks through. And I'm just, it just feels like Daisy Jones and the Six is the it book of the year so far to me. Podcast mm-hmm. at bookride.com if I'm right or wrong. Okay. Uh, any picks? Did you look at the other, the 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 secondary lists or the, the genre lists? Yeah, I, I didn't wanna... either. Um, no. <laughs> I, I will go back and look through it too. Any, any meta points to take away from this list so far? Hmm. You know, well, okay. So some of the nonfiction is pretty heavy, but the fiction leans on the lighter side. I've noticed like city of girls has, and not in a bad way at all. Like, um, city of girls has, I know has some substance, but is, um, maybe a lighter subject matter than there's Jennifer Weiner misses everything. There's romance. Oh, I've been meaning to read the night tiger by Yangtze. Chu. I've heard people like that one too. Yeah. Daisy Jones and the six. Um, I, I think we're not getting like, this is not a list with a lot of really heavy literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's something going on there. Um, I'm glad there are so many, and varied memoirs on this list. That was that is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting too. Uh, the, yeah, this, the formation. Reichel. Yeah, um, I've been interested. I've been circling um, a woman is new, no man, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to. Etaf Rum, I believe is. Well, I believe that, so. E T A F R U M about a woman who emigrates from Palestine to the U S, which I've I've heard is really good too. Uh, yeah, that's that's the best books of the year so far. I can't believe it's that time of year for the so far, the dot, dot, dot so far. I mean, July 1st is the dot, <laughs> dot, dot so far. Yeah, you know, well, Amanda and I were talking last week that Goodreads had released their list of like the hit yeah. books of the year so far. And it was some magical formula of like how many readers had put the book on their want to read list and then how reviews had been something like that. And there were the bulk of the comments on the post were like, we're not halfway through the year yet. <laughs> Okay, sure. I get technically you're right. Also, so, no one cares. There you go. I am pleased to report that Book Riot's best books of the year <laughs> so far list was already scheduled to be published on right. July first. Because that because if you're four day if you're right on the the nose, that means you're right. That means the other lists are wrong and right. you are correct. I mean, we did make the decisions about those yeah. books before <laughs> July first, but maybe I mean, technically people so far could be at any time in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. That's go. true. This is a cool. This is a cool <laughs> story. Poet, writer, and musician Joy Harjo will become the first Native American U.S. poet laureate. Announced a couple days or yesterday. Um, she's sixty-eight and is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. Um, and she succeeds Tracy K. Smith as the country's twenty-third poet laureate consultant in poetry, which is funny because that's the official title. It's a little bit of Department of Titles mm. um, and, and thing going on here. Um, 
make her the first position. So a little bit about her. She lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, also the first Oklahoman, Boomer Sooner, uh, to be U.S. Poet Laureate. I think it's a two-year term is correct. Um, mm-hmm. And she's been a teacher for a long time. And maybe if you're going to go pick up one, her 1990 book, In Mad Love and War, won the American Book Award for poetry. So she has a new collection nice. called An American Sunrise coming out in August. Probably if you're a poet with a book coming out, naming the U.S. Poet Laureate is not the worst uh, publicity bump <laughs> you can get. So I hope that people buy a whole bunch of books. Um, not an not author I know about. I'm very bad at contemporary poetry, but I'm definitely checking out um, both probably the 1990 mm-hmm. book and the new one. I'm going to be on the lookout for that. So congratulations to her. Yeah. That's wonderful. I've never wondered about this until right now. But do you have any idea what the duties of the poet? I think it's ambassador are? stuff. Like you do readings, you visit mm. schools. Um, that's I'm out. I don't have a third thing in my serial uh, for that. You yeah, rep poetry. You poetry. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you give a lecture, a fancy lecture. Here's what I don't know. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the scratch looking like? Yeah, it says. Um, here, the Library of Congress calls the position the nation's uh-huh. official poet and assigns a modest minimum of official duties that enable individual projects designed to raise the national consciousness to a greater appreciation of reading and writing of poetry. It doesn't mention the yeah. money. Presumably, there's money. There should be There should money. be at least a modest uh, honorarium to go along with the modest duties. Not sure. Yes. Anyway, so go check, go check her poetry out if you're interested. Even if you're not, maybe it's a good idea. That's a, that's yeah. a good kind of thing for me. Too. Well, and, I like um, poetry, and I, I, I don't have my, um, my lead gathering for poetry that mm. I'd be interested in is very weak. I have a weakly developed uh, information gathering about contemporary. Does poetry have a discoverability <sighs> problem? I don't know. It's short enough. You'd think it'd be easy. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You know, Tracy K. Smith has a great daily podcast. I cannot for the life of me remember the title of it right now, but it's worth looking up. And that's also a nice way into poetry. It would make sense. I don't follow any Instagram poets either, which it's a thing I know. Um, And I'm not being cynical about Mm. that. Like that's a really good medium for for poetry, I would think. Anyway, congratulations to Joy Harjo, Um, which probably you guys have been waiting the whole episode for this. Probably should be the lead story, but we would do what we want. Probably, I mean, this probably is where it goes on our own interest level. Is that? Am I right about this? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yes. <sighs> Suzanne Collins announces a 2020 Hunger Games. Well, okay, this is confusing. The book is coming out in 2020. It will not be set in 2020. It's a Hunger Games prequel, um, and it's going to come out next May, May 19, 2020. No word on the title. But here's what Colin says about it. With this book, I wanted to explore the state of nature, who we are, and what we perceive is required for our survival. The Reconstruction period, 10 years after the war, commonly referred to the, the dark, as the Dark Days, commonly referred to in her own book. It's kind of weird because it makes it sound like it's an actual thing. As the country of Pan Am <laughs> struggles back to its feet, provides fertile ground for characters to grapple with these questions and thereby define their view of humanity. Um, so it's long before the Katniss Everdeen storyline and that's all we know. Already Lionsgate, has the, the production company that made the original Hunger Games movie trilogy, is already um, licking its lion lips about a movie. And they're already working with Collins about that, what it'll be. That's all we know. Um, I can't tell if this is... Is this something or nothing, Rebecca? Where, where are we on this? Hmm. It's well, certainly something in terms of it's worth talking about. Yeah. But like... I think it's going to be something on release day. Yeah. And then we're going to know pretty quickly after that if yes. it's actually something or nothing based on what's in it. Like So, okay, great. You 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 teed me up for this follow-up question. Do you think it will be something? I don't know. Yeah. My personal relationship to the Hunger Games series is that I hated the ending of Mockingjay and like literally threw the book across the room in the middle of the night when Mm. I finished it. So I'm going to read this because I need to know. So, okay, great. Well, that's, that's step zero, right? You will read this. You're in. I'm going to read it. I'm curious enough. Like it crosses the Shinsky curiosity threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to read it and find out, but I'm having a little trouble trusting Suzanne Collins after the ending of the thing, but I already know how the thing ends. So right. some interest in the beginning or before the beginning 
is driving this. And I think that dystopian novels written in the current administration, especially when we already know what this world looks like, I'm curious about, um, well, I'm curious about what the product is when you write a book like this in the, in this world, because she wrote the, the hunger games trilogy in a totally different political environment Mm. where dystopias were like an escape and a thrilling read. And, um, they feel a little too real in some ways now. So I don't, I'm curious enough to find out. I think it could go either way. I mean, am I wrong that the hunger games is the, it's the signal dystopian franchise. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's other works that have been dystopian and, you know, 1984, you can go through a lot of them, but in terms of a franchise, it is to dystopians, what to dystopian storytelling, what, uh, Harry Potter is to, you know, middle grade YA fantasy. It is what um, the Lord of the Rings is to high fantasy. Um, it's the thing for her to come back to it is interesting. Um, yeah. I think that's interesting and by itself. I think the thing I'm most interested in is like most of the time these dystopian stories begin after the bad thing has already yeah. happened. And it's like, here's the world post bad thing. Mm. And maybe it's been a long time since the bad thing. And we've been living this way for a while. And like, here's the drudgery and here's the struggle, or here are the teenagers in an arena trying to kill each other um, for entertainment and various other reasons. Like sometimes it's great to get an answer about how the bad thing happened and what it looked like. And sometimes it's better for that to remain a mystery. Um, So I think I'm really interested in will knowing this stuff make the world of the hunger games feel richer or will knowing it be feel like knowing too much here's another question i don't know the answer to and maybe for those of you who have know people that are different ages maybe your middle school librarians or your high library are people are, are 12 13 14 15 year olds picking up the hunger games oh now? that's a good question because they're picking up harry potter because i know because i got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old that are interested in this world um, again, they're too young for the Hunger Games, but the Harry Potters had legs different. I know it has mm-hmm. legs. In that yeah, regard. Harry Potter is multi generational. Multi generational. Are p are twelve year olds picking up the Hunger Games, or is the or is the 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 market for this people who aged through the Hunger Games coming out, and they're getting, you're relying on them to come back and pick this up, or will a thirteen year old pick this up after having read the Hunger Games, or a sixteen year old, or something like that? I I have no access to that. I'm not saying they do or they don't. I'm saying I don't know, like I know about uh, mm-hmm. Harry Potter as well. My other interest yeah, is, well, is Hunger Games now considered a Jennifer Lawrence franchise rather than a Suzanne Collins franchise? Oh, that's an interesting Because one. Jennifer Lawrence became a giant star off mm-hmm. of these, this trilogy and I think became synonymous with that franchise in a way like Harrison Ford became synonymous with Indiana Jones. Um, right. And I wonder if a Hunger Games movie without Jennifer Lawrence in it is kind of like that solo Star Wars movie without Harrison Ford in it, which hmm. didn't do great. Um, yeah. And as a big Star Wars fan, I didn't see it in the theater, which I can give no bigger indictment of how uninterested people were in it that I didn't see Solo in the theater. And maybe I just have a little like, bit of that, that. That would be my concern about what this is. Maybe it's like adult Katniss at the end of her life narrating the history. And then I we mean, get Jennifer Lawrence. Be, I don't know. It could be. I, I don't know. I'm... I think I've said before on the show, prequels just don't get my engine going. I can't think of a prequel. Even the Star Wars stuff, when it came out in 99, I, should, I was very excited for those. But I knew it was going to happen. I've just never found one I loved. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to have the goalposts moved of like thinking, think so like thinking that you've gotten the whole story or that you've heard everything you're going to hear about a world, especially when it's been closed. Like the book has been closed for a, a while. It's been a long time since Mockingjay. Yeah. And then like, oh, there's more. Um, or if this story was so interesting and it happened first, why didn't you tell it first? I mean, I guess kind of what I'm thinking about is like, mm. you could have told a, this story before, but you didn't. And you're going back because I think there's something interesting about the artistic will to prequeling that I'd like to read a long think piece about. Mm-hmm. I don't want to write it. But like, <laughs> artists seem more interested in prequels than consumers, readers, viewers are interested in going back to see it. Um, you know, Game of Thrones is doing the same thing. Star Wars has done the same thing. 
you know, J.K. Rowling did this. It, the Fantastic Beasts are essentially prequels have not been as successful. Some of it is once you've had the giant mega all-time hit, you know, the se- asking the second one to be anywhere close to it is unreasonable. But like, what are the examples? Podcast, they, seriously, podcast at bookwriter.com. Mm-hmm. What are the prequels that were like awesome, that were great successes, um, and not just feeling like appendices? Of yeah, some kind? you know, I can't come with a lot of great ans- uh, answers to that question. This isn't a movie example or a book series example, but the yeah. only thing that comes to my mind of a prequel that's been great is Better Call Saul as a Breaking Bad okay. prequel. Um, right. But it's also like, it's kind of a prequel, but it's also like an entirely separate story and world unto itself. Um, but what what percentage of people who watch Breaking Bad have seen Better Call Saul? 30%? I'm, one, I'm just wondering. Like, Yeah, maybe. And like I just, just recently met somebody success. who was watching Better Call Saul who had never seen Breaking Bad. And they were like... Weird. You know, right, yeah. There's a lot of stuff I'm <laughs> missing out on. Like, the shows do have really different vibes. I can see if they if you didn't know yeah. they were connected, they would attract really different audiences, I think. Um, anyway. Are we getting Sopranos prequel coming out soon? I just, oh, no. I'm just, I'm just now Mm-mm. thinking about it. And maybe... Why not the why not the postquel? Why not continuing the stories? It seems like we see that a lot less than the prequeling. Um I'm just fascinated by that because you would think the thirst from a reader's point of view is the book that comes after Mockingjay. Yeah, well Mockingjay the, the, ends with Katniss married and having kids. So like we could get books yeah. with her kids as main characters. I'm fascinated by this. Also, I don't know the literary antecedent like when did I feel like prequeling is a more modern, uh, very loosely, last few decades, yeah. um, hmm. artistic maneuver. Whereas before, I guess The Hobbit came out after Lord of the Rings. I guess that's probably the best example I mm-hmm. can think of right now. Um, but outside of that, let me do some research. I'll do some internal follow-up and present um, a, mini, a mini rant or a mini uh, <laughs> the, the, a, pr- a primer. <laughs> On uh, prequels. A modern um, history of prequels is also an annotated episode that should exist. That's super. I think we just, we just pitched ourselves Mm -hmm. one, but also you can help me out through your research podcast, my research podcast at bookriot.com. Give me an example, both in terms of um, first or early usage of a prequel that people would know. And then if you've got a prequel that you think really rings the bell of what you wanted it to do, let me know about that one too. Podcast at bookriot.com. Okay. All right. So your 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 concern or not concern your prediction is lukewarm reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think lukewarm. I'll be surprised if anybody's like this Hunger Games prequel is the best thing ever. Yeah, you know who's post schooling though? It goes. It goes. It's it's relevant here is um, Atwood. The new Handmaid's Tale is a post school thing. I think mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get examples of both in this dystopian. Um, Era, this this dystopian arena, uh, not to excuse the pun, but, uh, <laughs> Hunger Games. All right, last sponsor, then we got potpourri to the max here at the end. <laughs> All right, our last sponsor this week is Amazon Publishing Summer Reading Initiative. They are helping to kickstart your summer reading with a $3 credit towards select Kindle books. Get ready for some sun, mm. some fun, and the discovery of your next favorite book. Don't miss out. Go to amazon.com slash summer reads. The titles on the promotion are books that Amazon is excited to be sharing with you. They're excited for you to read them. A couple of them, just for an example, are called In Farley Field, Everything We Keep, and The God's Eye View. There are several others available This $3 credit towards select Kindle books is available from now until June 30th. So get on that while you can. Again, amazon.com slash summer reads to find your next favorite book. Amazon.com slash summer reads. A couple of dried rose petals I added to the potpourri mix first. Um, For those of you who care, today, Niantic, I think that's how you say the name, is the, the video game company released... Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which is their Pokemon Go style game using Harry Potter IP. I downloaded it just now oh. before we started. My kids and I are going to play it. We're going to love this. Okay. Ames likes Pokemon Go. We played it together. They both like Harry Potter. It's summertime. You can get out, run around. I have nothing else to say about it except that it's there. It's going to be, I think, a biggish deal. 
um, Pokemon Go, as if you remember, came out two summers ago. And I think well, that's a that's a bona fide phenomenon it's, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it's still at, going. The There's a oh yeah, po- people still play. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a pokey sure. spot in the churchyard across the street from my house, and I can tell when something is happening in Pokemon Go because there will be like a pack of people and a bunch of cars I've never seen in the neighborhood <laughs> in the neighborhood before, like all gathered on the corner. <laughs> Yeah, we were out at dinner at this place outside of Portland where there's some outdoor seating, and all these people like were looking at their phones around this water tower. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it was mm. a, some sort of Pokemon Go related. I was like, oh, there's a thing. Uh, interesting. It it wasn't a flash in the pan, but it didn't burn with the heat. It, it yeah, like, and it's it, it, it would have been revolutionary, like literally, if it had gone. Yeah, the yeah. The um the note at the bottom of this piece from The Verge. It launched Pokemon Go launched in summer of 2016. So like three oh, three, three years ago. is a really long yeah. life for like any sort of like gaming phenomenon. I think especially an interactive like basically social media gaming situation. Um, that's it's really impressive that that's still going on. I had forgotten that this Harry Potter version was going to <laughs> exist. So when people started tweeting about it today, I was like, what even is Harry Potter yeah. Wizards United? I thought we talked about the announcement on the show we a while did, back, but, but it it's was been a while, while. back. Yeah, um, I, I, this is not my jam, so I'm looking no. forward to hearing about how it is for you and the kids. Speaking of my jam, it's um, wrong-headed petition uh, directed <laughs> to the wrong people. I couldn't like this more. Uh, same, I'm very. Delighted. Except, I mean, that people are actually doing it. I don't like, but that it happened. If they're going to do it, that they happen this way, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't be more. May your efforts fail. <laughs> May your efforts fail, and guess what? They did. Uh, so 20,000 people have petitioned Netflix to cancel Good Omens for being blasphemous. Uh, because uh, if you know anything about Good Omens, there's, you know, they, there's a God character, there's an angel character, there's a Satan evil character. I guess technically it is blasphemous, right? Because you shouldn't <laughs> say this kind of Technical thing. blasphemy. Uh, on the other hand, get over yourself. But... Uh, the problem is that um, Good Omens runs on Amazon, <laughs> Netflix. So, you know, maybe if they were doing a, cl- a plain text reading, uh, they would have gotten it right to which platform it's actually on. Though I have to say, if you're Netflix, you have to love this because <laughs> it means you're the Xerox. Yeah. Right? They just assume mm-hmm. it's a Netflix. Anything that's a streaming show, people assume are Netflix, which is incredible and a terrible sign for people trying to compete with Netflix. So that's the, the yeah, subtext. that's an interesting top line note there. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, it was um, the a U.S. Christian group called Return to Order. A terrifying name, <laughs> actually, I have to say. Uh, it says the show presents devils and satans. It says normal and even good, where they merely have a different way of being and mocks God's wisdom. It is a fantasy uh, novel. Also. It makes a Satanism appear normal, light, and acceptable. Also, I don't really feel scared of this group and their ability to return anything to order if they can't send a petition to the right place. Yeah, yeah, right. That's comforting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Neil Neil Gaiman, who uh, wrote um, Good Omens with Terry Pratchett, tweeted, I love that they're going to write Netflix to try to get Good Omen canceled. Says it all, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like once, a little once in the fray, but slightly above it with that yeah, tweet, I would say. Once you start the ball rolling in the wrong direction on the internet, there's no way no. to get it back. So, like, even if this group corrects it and changes everything no. to say Amazon Prime, and it's like, wait, wait, guys, where we've been petitioning <laughs> wait, wait, the no, wrong no, no, place, there are right. still going to be people, like, if this has any continuation at all, there will still be people on the internet like in their camp, seeing the original version and going after Netflix. Like Netflix is probably going to be laughing over emails they receive about this for a while. Mm, yeah. All right. You got two more in here and um, you want to run through them. I, yeah. the, this weekend, Banana Pants, we have to get to. We do. I, I read this and I thought I was having a stroke of some kind. I know. It's I very strange. So um, our you know heroes of the week, good job to libraries <laughs> and the people that support them uh, in Rumford, Maine, a local library, has received several challenges over the last couple of years about displays um, of books featuring LGBTQ people. And the first time that it happened, or the first like very significant time that it happened, the library trustees made a statement of support for the library staff, saying that they trust the library staff, they don't tolerate discrimination, the library staff will be the ones that determine what books go on display. Um, they're being challenged again. And it went to a public meeting where the librarians were like, look, we're, 
you know, part this is a democracy. Part of the democracy is having dialogues as a community. Um, that's from the direct the executive director of the Booth Bay Harbor Memorial Library. Um, but the conversation was had, and the trustees once again backed up the librarian. So a couple notes there is that like here's another instance in which this is in which this thing is happening of people um, attempting to stop libraries from displaying books about gay rights and gay issues and a great job to the community and especially the board of trustees for not backing down and not only not backing down but making full-throated statements of support for the librarians and their choices so that's good news yep good job um we keep track of these because i guess it's important Mm -hmm. we feel it's important what you said you want to keep hearing about them even though the, the hits just keep on coming um this next story uh i mean it's sort of boy so the the author of this piece in the new yorker daniel a gross says that he was offered ten thousand dollars as part of a new award funded by the chairman of barnes and noble who we've talked about before lynn Riggio, mm-hmm. but wasn't supposed to tell anyone about it mm-hmm. and I think it's worth it's one of those that's worth reading. We don't want to recap it except to to say what we want to say about it. Very strange story. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's not the strange the Regio secret part is not the strangest part of it when you actually no. get into it. Is that right, Rebecca? I mean, I, I kind of don't want to spoil it, I guess. Yeah, no, I think this is one like you want to go read it yourself, get all the info and like sit with the confusion for a little bit, but it's right. very tangly and upsetting. Yeah, um, that that it was funded by Regio and Barnes and Noble is sort of, for our purposes maybe the most interesting piece, but for the actual story, kind of doesn't. Well, it does matter. It, it, it's it's relevant, but it's kind of not the core of the story yeah. that, that Daniel tells here. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I think that it reveals some interesting pieces about the Regios and the way that they seem to handle their money um, or to not be very involved in the way that their money is handled. But the, the top line takeaway from this is more about um, exploitation and the very yeah. serious dearth of opportunity for writers of color in, That's right. in publishing. That's right. And the kind of story that I don't, do we get this story five years ago? I wonder about mm. that. Would, would, would it, would Daniel be comfortable writing this? Would the New Yorker have run it? I feel it's the kind of under the worms under the rock stuff that we know yeah. happens. Like not this specifically that like stuff like this happens, but we just don't get the stories with people's names on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad we're getting that. I'm terribly sorry this happened and it's yeah, not it's a great awful. story, but that I'm glad that the story is coming out, I think is incontrovertibly a good thing. If yes. this kind of thing is going to happen, this kind of story should be written. Absolutely. Guess, yeah. Say. Um, so we'll right. have Sorry that. Sorry to link. be cryptic about that, there, folks. But I, th- I think it's a situation where the experience of reading it is the thing. Yeah, not I think just so the too. Information contained therein. Yeah, and that's a New Yorker link that you'll see in the show notes. Yeah, show notes. As called, always, at, yeah. it's called the strange story of a secret literary fellowship. I mean, c- could you have a bigger catnip sto- headline <laughs> for me than that? <laughs> I couldn't. It's so it. mind-boggling and also yeah. disappointing in the least surprising ways. Yeah. I think that's our show this week. As always, you can find show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. I want to know your favorite books of the year so far. Prequel. Prequel at me. Podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, thank you so much, all of you out there, for listening every week, making us a Pokestop in your heart so to speak. And we'll be back with you next week. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you.